The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The Institute of Art and Ideas, articles, videos, and podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast that brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. This week, we're exploring philosophy and authority. We know authority is dangerous, yet we assume it is necessary for society to work. But do we want and need authority to feed our hopes and dreams? Joining us to discuss authority is philosopher Noam Chomsky, political scientist Mark Leela, and professor of economics Deirdre McCluskey. And and I, I think we need to draw back from this idea that we need laws and authority to run everything. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website, iai.tv. We'd like to inform our audience that this episode contains some sections of lower quality audio. This is due to Professor Chomsky having to attend the debate via video call. Apologies for this. Back now to our host for this week's debate, Rana Mitta. Do we need authority? What kind of authority do we need? And how might we rethink authority for the future? In times that at least some people consider to be dark, troubled, turbulent, do we need authority? And I'm going to start, if I may, with Professor Deirdre McCloskey. Well, we, we, we need some authority, I think, is the, is the obvious answer to this, but, but a much smaller amount than we now have. The, the problem about authority is that it's basically the art of, of pushing people around, of men pushing women around, the cops pushing poor people around, uh, um, the United States pushing everyone around. And, and I, I think we need to draw back from this idea that we need laws and authority to run everything. I have a, a cousin who works for the the CIA, she, she said to me, and she's a very reasonable person, and she said, well, you know, a modern economy needs a lot of supervision, a lot of authority, a lot of people making regulate antitrust laws and blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I, 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 I think that like language, to um, speak of our, our, our colleague here, Language is a, um, is a spontaneous order. It's not, there's not some central committee that's d- deciding what conjugation should be in English. And the same is true of the economy, and the sa- same is true of a lot of our life, much more than people think. And they, they think, oh, we've got to have a boss here and regulations and, oh, gosh. And th- then we have to pass laws all the time. <laughs> now, really, I say, let's stop passing laws. Let's have a year in which we don't pass any laws in Parliament or Congress and see what happens. I think we'd be better off. There are too damn many laws, 
too much authority. Deirdre, thank you very much indeed for that very cogent statement there. I think the way the U.S. Congress is going, not passing any laws might soon be the norm in U.S. politics. That's fine with me. We, we real liberals, and I am, I'm a John Stuart Mill type 19th century liberal, although I have modern clothing. Uh, um, <laughs> um, it, we think that it's a good thing that Congress can't do anything. Yes! And I would like to think, Deirdre, that John Stuart Mill in particular would have worn that sparkly top. I can That's see right. it very That's much, right. <laughs> very much on, uh, on, on him there. <laughs> Mark Lilla, we've heard from Deirdre McCloskey that we're passing too many damn laws, too much authority, get off our backs. Is this a viewpoint that you can agree with? No, I think we suffer from an authority deficit <laughs> and different kinds <laughs> of authority. The original authority problem if you go back to Plato and Aristotle, is authority over the self. Yes. How do you become a subject capable yeah. of yeah. reaching your own goals and yeah. setting goals and reaching them? Well, that only comes when you have, you know, the, the, the rational part of you uh, yeah. or the moral part of you has authority over other parts of you. Now, and, and the only way to establish that, because it doesn't come naturally to us, is through education. And the only way to help people become authoritative over themselves is to give them authoritative education. There is no spontaneous order of becoming a self. Yeah, well, a self gets shaped in society through authority. We're also suffering an authority deficit when it comes to social mores. You know, if 50 years ago today, uh, or now, back, back in 1968, People were very happy to question all sorts of uh, uh, authoritative mores and taboos having to do with the treatment of women. Now what we're trying to do is reconstitute those taboos and those mores and those norms because we got rid of many of them and for many for understandable reasons, hypocrisy and all the rest. But how do you do that? Well, you have to do that in some authoritative way. Young boys need to learn how to treat young girls and women when they get older. That requires authority. Yeah. Finally, at the political level, um, Donald Trump is uh, right now destroying as many democratic norms yeah. as he possibly can. Now, what are norms? Yeah. Norms are not things written down. They're things that are authoritative because they become taken for granted. Yeah. The thing about a taboo is you don't know you have a taboo until you use, lose it. It's in that moment that it's gone that you realize that up until then, it never would have occurred to you to call for your political opponent to be jailed. Yes. And then once that happens, the question in all these realms I'm talking about is how do we put the genie back in the bottle? And so I think we're too, I think Americans in particular are absolutely paranoid about authority. They have been since Tocqueville wrote. And one of the problems with that is we put so many constraints on authority while at the same time asking more and more from government so that government cannot actually provide the things that we're asking them to do. So we have to choose. Either we ask for fewer things or we give more um, leeway and discretion to those in public office in order to reach the ends 
that we want to. So in all those sorts of ways, I think we actually need to think through and reacquire an appreciation of authority. But within that, Mark Lillard, there is presumably a distinction to use highly sophisticated terms between good authority and bad authority. You're not talking about simply obeying norms or ideas because they're there already, because they're inherent. Well, part of the way norms work is that, and the reason they're authoritative is because you're not questioning them. Or at least when you're educated in them, you're not questioning them. You begin by taking them as authoritative, and then hopefully, later on, either you question them and reject them, or you appreciate the reason you know, behind them. But, but we, we should do... I don't think we should be asking the government to do so much. I don't think we should be turning to the government all the time. So let, let's hold that thought there for a moment. I can yep. see the debate's already breaking out on stage, but we have another oh, voice to hear. <laughs> Professor Noam Chomsky, we've just heard from Mark Lilla here in Hay, the case for more authority and the right sort of authority. Would you agree with that case, or would you want to argue against it? I would uh, argue against it in a qualified fashion. Uh, there is a general uh, simple principle about authority, uh, namely that any form of authority, domination, hierarchy, are not self-justifying. They face the burden of proof. And if they can't meet it, which I think is commonly the case, yeah. uh, they should be dismantled in here, here. Uh, favor of a more free and just social order. Professor Chomsky, may I take that point which you've articulated very clearly and throw it to our fellow panellists uh, here to, to get some discussion on that. We, we'd like to bring you back in in just a, just a moment. I think um, Noam Chomsky said several things there that we should pick up in terms of thinking about this question of how and whether centralised authority is essential for a society to work effectively. And actually, the last part of what Professor Chomsky said Mark, I'd like to throw to you, you've written a great deal about identity, and without caricaturing, you've argued that identity politics in some ways is becoming very corrosive of democratic society. Let me take a specific example that I think relates to one aspect of, of, of what Noam Chomsky has just said. Supposing you are one of the many African Americans who feel that the police, one obvious sense of source of authority in society, do not represent your interests, do not have your interests at heart, are not protecting you and your community in an inner city in the United States. Is that a form of authority which they should be respecting and taking account of? Or do they have a legitimate, legitimate case to say, this is something that is widely recognized as authoritative, but we don't feel it should be for us? Oh, sure, it's very understandable. But one has to understand that, um, I mean, if I can back up to answer the question, that uh, I, I reread recently um, Lenin's uh, attack on Rosa Luxemburg, which is called infantile leftism. And I realized that he was totally right and Rosa Luxemburg was totally wrong. Is this the only time yeah. in your life you've endorsed Lenin? Yes. Yeah. No, well, I'm becoming more Leninist by the day, I think. <laughs> um, but the point is that in the end, you need a party, you need authority, you have to work within a system of something. And there is a kind of infantile leftism that talks about authority in the way Kafka talked about the castle. There's authority. There's the wall. And we have social movements where we come up and we're ramming the door. And every once in a while, authority tosses things down to us, right? That is not the way democracies work. And we cannot exaggerate the problems of legitimacy in our democracies. 
that know there are doors into the, into the, into the castle. There are conversations about, how, about things we might do. Certain people have more voice than others. That's absolutely right. But it is not a wall. And one consequence of infantile leftism is that in rejecting authority, if it throws itself into the hands of the so-called people yeah. and one populist tribune yeah, yeah. that pretends to speak for the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a long list of that beginning from the Soviet Union down to Hugo Chavez and a certain kind of infantile leftist that falls in love with these truly authoritarian figures because they're against authority. Well, I, I, I agree with that in, in part because indeed if you're going to do politics by majority vote, which, which, which ends up with uh, Chavez or Urban, this, this, this fellow in, in Hungary as an example, or God help us, uh, Donald Trump, that's where you're appealing, with, not you, but one is appealing to a, a majority rule, we vote, and then the minority is crushed you jail your political opponents and so forth. But there's a third way, which is not infantile. It's an optimism about self-organizing humans, free humans. And indeed, as, as an economist, I of course am very enthusiastic about this notion that a market society doesn't need massive walls, massive authorities, castles to, um, to telling them what to do. I, I think you're right that if you take the political view of naive democracy, you're going to get naive results. Our, our great um, journalist in the United States in the early 20th century, H.L. Mencken said, democracy is the theory that the common people know what they want and deserve to get it good and hard. <laughs> well, as one of those uh, infantile leftists, you might <laughs> uh, respond uh, first to the history. Uh, it was Rosa Luxemburg, one of the other uh, left Marxists, who objected to the man's conception that uh, the role of uh, that the uh, public should subject itself to the party, which subject itself to the central committee, which yeah. should subject itself to the maximal leader, who would construct a, what he himself called a labor army, uh, answering to the name of the, to the leader. Those are yes, the yes. leftists, and glad to be among them. Uh, when we turn to the modern uh, society, uh, we have to ask ourselves, does the majority uh, and take the United States, does the majority take authority? Well, the answer is no. As I pointed out briefly in the, the literature, there is overwhelming evidence that elections are essentially bought. Yeah. With astonishing well. precision, you can predict the outcome of an election simply by looking at campaign funding, and that's only one of the many factors by which concentrated wealth and corporate power to determine the nature of legislation, which lobbying, many other devices. And in fact, the large majority of the population are indeed unrepresented. Their own representatives 
disregard their opinions totally and pay attention to the uh, same centers of power. So it's simply not true that uh, we pick our leaders. We don't. Uh, the, uh, formally, that's possible, but in fact, it isn't. And the same is true of labor contracts. You know, as a classical liberal, I do agree with John Stewart and James Mill that uh, uh, the proper form of association in an economic system is for working people to uh, own and control their own enterprises, not be subordinated to masters, yes. which is a kind of a temporary slavery, as they call it, temporary, if you assume there's a way of getting out of it. Which, no, no. Oh so yes, I think we have to question very seriously yeah. the actual role of authority, the way it functions in creating dark times, in imposing repression. Uh, populism should mean, and it probably does mean, uh, taking seriously Thomas Jefferson's distinction between aristocrats who want to appropriate to themselves all power, Lenin was a example, uh, versus the Democrats who regard the common people uh, with their opportunities for what's now called deliberative democracy to be the safest uh, depository of the common interest. And I think that's the direction in which we should be trying to Could move. I put that point, Professor Chomsky, back to our other panelists here? Um, I mean, Mark Lilly, it seems to me that infantile leftist versus future liberal is possibly the worst superhero movie ever proposed. <laughs> but if we wanted to get past that, would you accept Professor Chomsky's proposal that the basis, the actual basis of what he would call so-called liberal democracy is so corroded, so corrupt, that actually the pillars of authority that you're putting forward don't really have validity in the first place? No, because... What's being compared is our present reality and the disaster of our campaign finance system, which I agree with entirely, with some fantasy of a plebiscite-like democracy. That is not the democracy we have. In fact, we have constitutional democracy. And it was constructed in a certain way so that authority was, would be diffuse in different sorts of institutions. They would lean against each other and disagree with each other in other ways. It's an indirect democracy and that allows consultation and frankly yeah, yeah. leaves room for elites to be in a room and to reflect on these things. Yeah. And our great power is not that we get to put people into office, is that eventually we can get rid of them. And that's the test, I think. But of, but, of, of a democracy. But, I, but I think without putting words in Noam Chomsky's mouth, he would say that you can substitute a Democrat for a Republican, but essentially they all come from the same sort of background with the same sort of assumptions and the same sorts of problems. But there, there, it's not really a choice. But there, there, there's, there's an underlying problem here with, with uh, both the, the um, infantile <laughs> but very distinguished left. Distinguished colleague and the, and the, and the fascist... Um, <laughs> Over here, I, I don't actually mean that, but they, we're all, we're both of them are assuming that our lives should be entirely political, and that politics should dominate the economy, the society. That that's where all the action is. And I, 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 I look left and right 
is simply an argument over how massive state power will be used. On, on the left, uh, uh, encouragement of class warfare. On the right, encouragement of in, in imperial um, expansion. A curse on both their houses. Let's move to a, 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 a less governed society. I'm going to go back to Professor Lilla and then to Professor Chomsky. Mark, Mark Lilla first, please, and then. Yeah. Well, 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 and the thing, the exact you want more government, I want less. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I agree with Dieter McCloskey more than she might think. Yeah. And I think part, part, part of the art of authority is that to the extent that you can have spontaneous order, you should have it. There you go. There. Right? Now we'll join on that. And so. But to the extent that you have government that acts, it must have authority within the realm that it does. Well, I agree. There are so, the, the American movie Mr. Smith Goes to Washington has a lot to answer for. Yeah. There's this idea, this kind of Frank, Frank Capra view of politics in America that you can find some corn guy you know, who's this pure individual and he'll go to Washington and he'll see how corrupt everyone is and you know the people will flood in, and and everything will change. All That's President Trump, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. American movies are like that. What are they about? Some corporate structure, right? And there's one computer programmer there who understands everything, and the journalists won't listen to him, and eventually, uh, they overcome them. And that makes Americans suspicious of authority. I would like more limited government, but more authoritative government in the things that government does. Well, I agree with you there. But look, in, in 1913, the share of all levels of government expenditure, state, uh, federal, local, in the United States, was about 7.5% of national income, of all the stuff produced in the country, 7.5%. Now it's 32%. Uh, okay, but Deborah Crossley, let me, let me come in on that. One of the reasons it rose so fast was two little things one called the New Deal and the, on the back of the Great Depression, and one was yes. the Second World War. Yes. Are you suggesting the United States either should not have dealt with the Great no, Depression no. or fought the Second World War? Well, I have great uh, criticisms of uh, Fr Franklin Ro Roosevelt's economic policy. I get into arguments with my mother, who's 95, on these matters, and but, she's but an the, FDR girl. But the authority of the American system by the end of the 1920s yeah. had been heavily corroded by the fact that capitalism at that time seemed to have failed and put a you know, one yeah, third but, population. Yeah, but, but it hadn't failed and it hasn't failed. Look. Oh, here we hey. go. We're, we're vastly, we're vastly better off. In, 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 in 1941, just take one date, the average income in the United States was what it is now in Brazil. And I love Brazil. It's a wonderful place. But it's poor, and I, I hope it will stop being poor. But the way it's going to stop being poor is the spontaneous order of the market. And, and I, and I want to make again this point that language is a spontaneous order. And, and argument is a spontaneous order. And the, and, the, uh, and the common law is a spontaneous order. And they work reasonably well. They're not perfect. And, and we, we don't need to be bossed around all the time. Professor Chomsky, would you say the spontaneous order of the market will get us through? 1941, yeah. we're a much richer society. Uh, we have all sorts of, uh, incidentally, that uh, for most of the population, that stops at uh, 
it's around 1980 it's not when true. the liberal principles were instituted that by now um, real wages are the majority of no. prospecting that they were in the 60s. No, that's it's not true. It's not growth, but into very few. No, that's yeah. However, it's true that we're much richer than the 40s. We have all sorts of things we didn't have then. But for example, what we're now using, the computers and the internet, for example, where did they come from? Did they come from the market? Yes. Absolutely not. Yes. They came from the dynamic state sector of the economy. Namely, for government. Decades, for decades, the creative and risky work was done either in uh, under taxpayer subsidy, either in institutions like my own, MIT, yeah. uh, other research institutions uh, under uh, uh, under a taxpayer subsidy to but the institutions like IBM, which uh, were subsidized, and finally when IBM was able to create a computer that was fast and usable, couldn't sell it, so it was bought by a government institution in Los Alamos, well established that simply mm -hmm. uh, uh, procurement is a major way in which the taxpayer, meaning the state, subsidizes uh, private enterprise. To a large extent, what we call a market is a system of public subsidy and private marketing and profit. And we ought to face the reality. No, I, I agree with Richard Bosky that we shouldn't take orders. And that includes, crucially, the orders that are taken by a worker who rents himself to a boss. Yeah. No, we do that. And the idea that, uh, corp that private wealth and corporate power should have an overwhelming effect on choice of on legislation. That's a form of subordination to power that we should not accept. So I think I agree with Bosky that we should not, Bosky that we should not distinguish the political and the economic system. They're totally interwoven, but we should face the reality of each of them and question whether the authority that's exercised is in fact legitimate. Say yeah. by classical liberal principles, okay? Yeah. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to IAI.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses, and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports, and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper. Get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe, and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. Sure. Well, that question of legitimate authority, I think, will lead us very neatly to the next part of our discussion. We, I think, have, have had plenty of discussion, but we're not going to get agreement, uh, rightly so, I think, on the question of whether we have too much authority or too little in various societies. But I think we need to bring particular human beings into this more, because the question of leaders and leadership has also become a very, very live one in the last couple of years, whether in the Western world with the election of President Trump, uh, the election of uh, President Macron in France, a rather different sort of uh, leader from Trump perhaps, but certainly some of a very strong personality, or the criticism of some other leaders, uh, perhaps uh, the leaders in Western Europe, including for some, Pr Prime Minister May, as not having enough authority, enough leadership. Then, of course, the emergence of Erdogan in Turkey, Xi Jinping in China, 
a whole variety of different sorts of leaders. And I suppose the question comes if we turn from authority to authoritarianism, which is a related but different sorts of question. In Mark Lilla, you obviously, as our other speakers are, are based in the United States. You've seen the phenomenon emerging there, but more broadly, globally. Do you think that we're entering a world where authoritarianism is becoming too attractive a way for leaders to operate? Oh, absolutely. Um, and and, and w what's especially disturbing about it is that these uh, right-wing authoritarians are learning from each other. Um, so are you the left-wing authoritarians. Uh, well, we'll, we'll that, that was more in the past, but now when Orban does something, it might yeah. be yeah, mimicked right. on the French right and, mm -hmm. and, and so on. And... Um, you know, but, but, but authoritarianism, I'm not even sure it's, it's the right word. I'm not sure what it has to do with authority. I mean, it has to do with nationalism, it has to do with racism, it has to do with anti-Semitism, uh, it has to do with militarism, it has to do with all sorts of things. I don't know what makes it authoritarianism. I think probably the idea would be in this case that, in, in those cases, that the authority is embedded in the government, and in, this, in this case the leader's sense of his or her own authority, sort of the personalization of authority in that yes. sense. I, the leader of China, I, the leader of Turkey, I, I the leader of the United States, well, perhaps these days, yeah, yeah. have there, the right to do X, there, Y, or Z. There's an older word for it, which is simply tyranny. And, and I'm against it. <laughs> I, I think that the t tyranny of men over women, uh, of, uh, of, of, of whites over blacks, over uh, rich people over poor people, these are the things that I think should be made um, not should be made. Uh, how can I say this? Smaller. That is the 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 the, the range of authority that men had over over women was once extremely large. There is a marvelous statement of this by someone who said, "In the 18th century, kings had power and women had none. Now it's the other way around." And that's okay with me. But is, Tyranny is the problem. Uh, yeah, okay, but if, if, if we're talking about certain leaders of countries which have uh, you know, shrunk their democracies, that's one thing. Yeah. But would you say that legitimately elected democratic leaders in the main... You know, is Angela Merkel a tyrant in Germany? Uh, that's a good point. No, I don't think she... She doesn't look like a tyrant. I mean, take a look at her. <laughs> she's, a, she's a German housefrau. I mean, what well, she's a bit more than that, to be fair. She came from a pretty, you know, uh, dissident background, came through a very, very male-dominated uh, um, yeah. patriarchy. In, in Eastern, I mean, in the Eastern question, Germany. The, the question, I mean, is what is it that makes Angela Merkel not a tyrant? And presumably, who are you suggesting well, is because, a tyrant? Because she listens to people. So you, this is the big problem. And be, be afraid, because Donald Trump doesn't listen to anyone. He thinks he knows everything. He's a complete fool, and he's very dangerous precisely for that reason. She listens to her opponents, to her, when, when she did this terrible mistake of allowing a, a, a million people from Syria in, she, she, she reacted. She's, She's at least well, presumably to Trump, many of Donald Trump's voters would say that he listened to them and decided yeah, not to let in a million people into the United he States. He did, he did, and, that, and that's that's the trouble. To, to to but that doesn't make him a tyrant. That makes him someone who listens to a different set of people from the it people he likes. It makes him a tyrant when he does the things that Mark was pointing out. No, it defines to corrupt that, every institution. I think I think society. I understand your question better now. Someone like Erdogan is a good example. 
right, where who, someone who's uh, elected on the basis of a kind of charisma yeah. and then proceeds, then proceeds to destroy the democratic exactly. institutions within, apart from the power right. of, his, of his presidency. Yeah. And if that's what you mean by authoritarianism, yeah. that is a problem. Would you say that in a sense we shouldn't be distracted by the idea of charismatic leadership figures? It's sort of well, something look, that people concentrate on to the distraction to the real issues. We shouldn't be distracted and we wouldn't be distracted if the leaders weren't so important. In, uh, look, in, let's take that, uh, that 7.5% of national income in 1913 spent, whereas now it's over 32%. In France, it's 54%. The government spends 54% of everything that's, that's, that's produced in France. Um, Henry Kissinger, who I don't entirely admire, he's a war criminal, but still, he said correctly, France is the only successful communist country. And there's a lot to that. If, if, it, look, in, in 1913... You have me to Massachusetts, there, I think, there, but that There were appalling urban uh, um, uh, 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 politics in places like Boston, where I grew up, or Chicago, where I now live, extremely corrupt, extremely interested in, this, in the sense that Professor Chomsky is speaking of, and yet it didn't matter very much. It didn't affect most people in the United States because the government was confined, it was small, it didn't matter. Now we have this gigantic government and we're arguing about how this gigantic power is to be used. And I wish, I wish we would focus more on trying to bring the gigantic power under control. So, Mark, where would you come in on this? Do leaders matter in the end or not? Well, they do, but um, it, it, it's possible to be mesmerize them and I think misunderstand how certain kinds of democracies work. Let me give you an example. Um, had Hillary Clinton uh, become president, she won the popular vote, had she become president, um, and had she not won Congress, very little of her agenda would have been passed, yep, and a lot of it would have been blocked at the state and local government. For example, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the state of Iowa passed a law oh. saying that uh, abortion would now be illegal uh, from the moment the heartbeat of the fetus could be heard, which is about six weeks, which is normally before most women know they're pregnant. Now, there's a constitutional um, uh, right to abortion in America, but the way the federalist, federal system works, um, you have to go and you have to win elections in all these states. And the huge problem for the Democratic Party, because it's become a, a cultural elite party at the top, because of identity politics where it's focused, uh, it's not able to develop a large message or put its concerns about minorities in a larger vision. They're incapable of going to a place like Iowa and convincing Iowans. If you want to defend women, it's not enough to elect Hillary Clinton or knit a hat. You've got to go to Iowa, win elections in an overwhelmingly white state of people who are very religious. And that is the challenge for the Democratic Party. It's not looking for a charismatic figure. Yeah. It's working through the party from the ground but, up. But it's worth pointing out just on that, Mark, as you just said at the beginning of your own comment there, 
if you're looking at terms of getting people to vote for you, more people voted for Hillary Clinton than voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. The Electoral College meant that, in fact, she yeah. didn't get to win, but it didn't mean that people wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton or the Democrats. Or didn't mean to suggest... Oh, no, no, but not at the state level. In a federal system, we live in a geographically very polarized country, so the two coasts are Democratic and blue. The vast center is dominated by Republicans, but given our system, one has to be able to go to protect women, minorities, LGBT people in Mississippi, in Alabama, in, in Missouri, where it, you know, it's a crime to drive while black in many cities. But forgive me for you saying, have to win saying so, there. but some people say the reason that those states in the Deep South are so Republican is the fact that a previous generation of Democrats, and some Republicans to be fair, passed civil rights acts that changed the nature of the voting in those particular states. Lots well, of people true. who didn't like the changes, who were Democrats, became it's Republicans. It, it's true, and that's the hit we had to take, and Lyndon Johnson knew that. But that is but the, isn't that, that true that is of contemporary identity politics too, that you have to take some of those hits as well for what you might think is right? If you can win. But we are not winning in the, cent in the center of the country and we cannot protect our own people. That's the problem. We're talking here about ways in which authority and leadership come together, particularly in the United States, but also in, in Western Europe. But it's worth remembering that from first principles, there have always been proposals of societies that didn't have leaders. Anarchy in the truest sense of the word, not in the sense of being chaos or necessarily kind of turbulent conflict, but operating without those kind of top-down structures. I mean, Deirdre McCloskey, you would be, I think, frank in saying that you're a libertarian. I am. You're someone or, who wants us liberal. But actually, I want to take back the word liberal, which okay. I think is the correct word. And I'm w willing to, gi to, to give to my friends on the left Noam Chomsky and so on, the word pr progressive. I'm a liberal. Okay, so you're a liberal, but you're a liberal who wants as little government as possible. You bet. Could you therefore take that thought to its ultimate conclusion? Could we have a society really without leadership and would that function? No, I, I don't th think so. And here I certainly agree with Mark. A, 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 a small go government with, with authority and it's uh, that w where you can put bad people in jail but only the bad people, not the good people, where, where, the, where the government can, can uh, de 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 defend you in the channel against the French who are always thinking of invading Britain. Uh, and, 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 and our problem is Canada, which is an extremely dangerous country. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so a small government that, that, that does those jobs effectively, I'm, I'm all for. Um, but but I, I want to go back to something I said earlier and ask Noam Chomsky if he doesn't agree that language is a self-organizing uh, evolution. Language is. Your own great scientific work on language um, uh, is, is very much to the point here. And, I, and so much of what we do and are is not about people ordering us around. Now, I agree you have to learn. I, I completely agree with your, your, your speech about education. So this, this can't apply to children. But once you're free adults, there, there, should be, there, there should be an encouragement to spontaneous orders, such as language and large parts of the economy. I think you greatly 
in some senses, what Deirdre McCloskey and Noam Chomsky have said has some areas of convergence in terms yes. of wanting something that looks less like, like top-down leadership and more like spontaneous grassroots operation. Yes. They've also both engaged with the term liberal, which of course is something that you know very well from your own work. Do you see a liberal society also meaningfully being one where leadership is less top-down and less organized? Uh, no, not, not in the modern world we live in with the modern economy, but these ideas go hand in hand. The idea that authority is, this, is the castle and the fantasy of living without the castle. Um, even Deidre, I have to say, when you, you speak the word government, it sounds like you're talking about some alien spaceship that comes down, right, and then sucks all the energy out of the people and then flies back up. Um, that's and, that's, right. and that's not how things work. <laughs> the whole point in our system is not to fight authority, is to become the authority. And that means participation. I couldn't agree with Noam Chomsky more about the crisis of participation. And that's why on the other side, um, I actually think that voting should be required. Yeah. And As it is in Australia, for instance. Like yeah, compulsory yeah, voting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that will be good, healthy... So what I'm into, the kind of liberalism that I'm for is a kind of, um, a kind of you know, what's sometimes called civic republicanism, where there's a sense of public duty, public participation, and uh, yeah, a sense of solidarity among citizens as, as citizens. And, but that means engaging and trying to become the authority, not have a fantasy of escaping it. Well, but that so comes out of a free, that, that vision you have would come out of a freer society in which there's, we're, in, in which we aren't slaves. That's the key. It's, it's actual slavery, not the, not, 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 not the wage slavery that, 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 that Noam's talking about. Actual slavery is the problem. Okay, so we have their different views, I think, from our panel. This debate could go on and on, it deserves to, but we are coming towards time, because would you thank Professor Noam Chomsky, Professor Mark Miller. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. Remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen. And tune in next week for more big ideas from the world's leading thinkers.